I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 19. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, it's page 977. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jody. I need to add a couple of announcements, so we'll come back to Ephesians 3 in just a second. But uh, I wanted to let you guys know a couple of things. First, last week, I... First... Last week, I handed out a, a bookmark of upcoming dates that might be important to you. On the front side, it's kind of like in the weeds for the next quarter, but on the back side is a sort of full year view. So if you want to sort of set your sights on the, the big dates of the year, uh, get one of those uh, little bookmark calendars on your way out. They're on that back table called the Connect Table. Also, for some of us, for many of us, the last year or two or three has been one of the most grievous years on record for us. Um, we've lost family members and friends. We've said goodbye. Um, maybe we've had really difficult relationships or, or whatever that have, we've parted ways uh, and we are experiencing a tremendous amount of grief. Uh, we have an opportunity for you to bear the weight of that grief along with some of your brothers and sisters here in a little program called Grief Share. Uh, there are several people already signed up for this from the community, but I also wanted to let you know that it's for, it's for us too, it's for believers. And I actually have a video that I'd like to show you today that uh, may be persuasive to you if you're on the fence about whether or not to join. Maybe the testimony of these other brothers and sisters and what their experience was through it will be persuasive to you. So take a look at this quick video, if it works this morning, and then uh, we will, we'll jump into the text together. I was angry at God for letting this happen. My me-focused life was shattered. I was afraid I was going crazy. Exhausted from trying to hold it all in and act like I was okay. I felt completely lost. Resentful that life was going on like normal for everyone else. I was lonely, scared of my new normal. I had an intense longing for things as they used to be. Was this pain ever going to go away? I lost my husband suddenly, and we had three young children. I lost four family members in six weeks. A miscarriage halfway through my pregnancy. Several friends in high school, and more recently, my father to heart failure. And I got the phone call that my mom had taken her life. And I just... We'll never forget that moment um, in time. Everything just froze. I really felt like things were in control and I had a good handle on everything. 
I quickly learned that I wasn't in control of anything. My head was in a fog. I didn't know where I was. It was so completely opposite of everything that I knew and trusted and loved about God. I couldn't find that hope. I didn't feel that closeness with the Lord. Why have you chosen to take my brother who loved you so much. When I started the grief recovery program, I really didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be the girl who needed to go to something like this, and I didn't want to share my pain and cry in front of others. It had been 13 years at that point uh, since I had lost my mom, and I felt like I was going to walk into a room, and there were going to be people there who had a really fresh loss, and I would be taking something away by walking in with my old loss. When I got there, though, I was made to feel so at ease that I could express myself and get it off my chest. That what I experienced was common with other people. And man, that was freeing. It was so freeing to find out that I wasn't just crazy. I could put that burden down for a while. I could be honest, maybe let a little of the crazy out. <laughs> the freedom to, to forgive my parents for, for not being around. As, as, as silly as that sounds. I used to think that time would heal wounds. And time doesn't heal wounds. Grief never really goes away, but it can be turned into something different. And that something different can be hope. Because now I have tools to work through it and to go to the Lord immediately and lean on Him. Lamentations 3.32 says that though He brings grief, He will also show compassion. And yeah, I was, I was grieving and it wasn't fun, but at the same time, he was there and he was sitting with me in my pain and he had community around me. Feelings of loss that bring us together and help us to support each other in ways that bring us outside of our situations to a greater understanding of the bigger picture of what God's trying to do. Jesus tells us there's going to be many troubles in this world, but to take heart, I have overcome the world. I can take the next step. I can do the next thing. I was relying on myself, the power of one instead of relying on the power of the one, that I could find true recovery. Through grief recovery, I found that it's not so much about death, but it's about life. So if that resonates with you, or you can think of someone in your life that you know would really profit from being able to, to go to the Word and to the Lord together with other believers and share the burden of grief amongst the community of, of Jesus, uh, feel free to forward that along to them. The information about this is in uh, the uh, Trinity News. So if you are not signed up for Trinity News, you can sign up for that and get all the information about that on that back table. Um, okay. Well, uh, my Bible's just going to keep sliding down, so let's put it here. Uh, a few years ago, Jason and Jody Todd had a treadmill in their basement. That treadmill now sits in my basement. See, their low-ceilinged Philadelphia row home um, did not have enough space for Jason to run without smacking his head into the ceiling every time he hopped on there. So they kindly gave it to us, for which we're really grateful. And I have gotten in the habit of pretty regularly hopping on that thing to burn some calories. But I have to say that a couple of times when I have been on that thing, I have almost died. See, I'll have my headphones in, pumping, you know, whatever podcast or music at full blast. And every minute or so while I'm on the treadmill, I'll just up the miles per hour just a little bit, just nudge it up a little bit so that I'm running for maximum burn, you know. Um, well, every time, for whatever reason, every time I cross over into level eight on this treadmill, 
The treadmill just does not know what to do with itself in level 8, 9, and 10. It can't, it can't keep up with me, I guess. I don't know if it's because it doesn't know how to handle someone my size or if it's because I'm prolifically fast. I don't know, but it cannot keep up. But when I cross the eight threshold, I really have to prepare myself because uh, literally at any minute, that thing has the potential to just power down. Uh, I'm so serious. I'll be running at like a near full sprint, just getting after it. And then all of a sudden, the power will go out, and obviously the belt just immediately stops. There's no slow wind down. There's no incremental decrease of speed. Just bam! I don't know. It just blows a fuse or something. And you can imagine the, uh, the contorted motions that my body has gone into when that happens. If there was ever a temptation to be a swearing pastor, it's in that moment. It is not pretty. But when the power runs out, there's no movement left. It's just dead, right? The treadmill needs power to run, and I need the treadmill to burn calories. We're dependent on power for so many things, aren't we? How many times have you gotten into a situation where your phone is out of juice, and you don't have the cord, and you don't have the cube to charge it? It's not just treadmills and phones that need power. We do, too, as followers of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He says, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind or chariots without steeds. Like branches without sap, we are withered. Like coals without fire, we are useless. So if the power of God by the Spirit of God is so vital for us, where do we find it and how do we get it? Well, our text today is about power and our desperate need for it. Not like authoritarian power, but spiritual prayed-for power in our inner beings. And if we don't plug into this power, we won't operate like we're meant to as Christians. So our text today addresses the subject of the power of prayer. But I think it helps with another super practical need that many of us have too. I think I've mentioned to y'all that uh, on mornings I like to take prayer walks early in the morning. When it's really cold and dark outside like it has been recently, that's a problem for this Florida boy. So what do I do? I hop on the treadmill of doom. Um, And thankfully, the power has never gone out when I have been on the treadmill for a prayer walk. But I actually hopped on it this past Wednesday morning to do this. And do you know what? After decades of being a Christian, after many years of being a lay pastor and then a vocational pastor, I found myself walking and struggling to know what to pray what to say, and how to pray. Both what to pray for me, and then what to pray for Miriam, my wife, and my girls, and then what to pray for y'all. What am I supposed to say, and what do I ask? Have you ever been there? A little perplexed about what to say or what you're even supposed to be praying for? Well, Ephesians 3, 14 to 19 will remind us, first, that there is power to be had that can only be accessed through prayer, And that there is a pattern to follow as we consider the content of our prayer. These are the two really practical needs that are met in these short few verses. Do you want more power of God in your life to live a life worthy of him and then worthwhile to the world, to your community, to your neighbors? Do you need help knowing what to pray for in your life? Don't you wish you could just eavesdrop on a spiritual hero of yours and hear how they prayed? observe the posture of their prayer, hear what they said during their prayer, 
How did you learn to pray? You probably listened to those around you and you imitated that. Well, we can do that together today as we take a peek inside the curtain of Paul's prayer closet. So buckle up for the next few minutes and we'll talk about both of these two things in this text. And just by way of a callback, just to sort of reorient us to where we're at in Ephesians and where we're headed, uh, remember that we are progressively working our way up from the bottom like of an iceberg, if you want to picture it like that. Most of Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 are like that section of the, the iceberg underneath the water. It's underneath the surface of our souls. Until finally in chapter 4, which we will get to in a couple of weeks, the iceberg will break through the surface of our lives and we will see the effect that all the doctrine from chapters 1 through 3 should have on the surface of our lives. God's glorious grace should be obviously visible in our lives. That's kind of like the theme of Ephesians. That's why we've called this thing visible grace. Because all the doctrines of grace in 1 to 3 are supposed to become visible in our lives, and we'll see how that's unpacked in chapters 4 to 6. So according, for Paul, according to Paul, for any of that stuff to make its way from the invisible roots in our lives up to the visible fruit of our lives, we need this powerful prayer from Ephesians chapter 3. So here's the big idea for today's text. This is kind of like the one thing that you could take home with you that would sort of make sense of these few verses here. It's this. In desperation, pray for the powerful Trinitarian filling of God's fullness. That's, if you take one thing home today, that's it. In desperation, pray for the powerful Trinitarian filling of God's fullness. And the cool thing about this prayer is that you can apply it to yourself, your own personal prayers for yourself, and you can also apply it to prayers for others, like spouses or children or another member in this church, or while you're praying together in C group. C group leads, if you're in here this morning, I'd encourage you to use this prayer in your groups, maybe even this week. Pray it for one another. In desperation, Paul is praying for the powerful Trinitarian filling of God's fullness for the people in the Ephesian church, and we ought to do it for those in Trinity church as well. But before we hit our main points today, I want to make four quick observations about the prayer as a whole in its entirety. The first one is this. It is an explicitly Trinitarian prayer. If you're new to Christianity or new to the Bible, that might sound like a big, fat, fancy word. It just means it's a word based on Trinity. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. We sung it earlier this morning in that song. Uh, That's just a reference to God in three persons. If you want to experience power through your prayer life, you're going to have to involve every member of the team. Powerful prayer is a team sport when it comes to God. You need Father, Son, and Spirit. Look down at your text, verse 14. Paul prays to the Father. Skip down to 16. Paul prays to the Father for the Spirit. And then skip down to 17. Paul prays to the Father for the Spirit to unleash the Christ in our hearts. Father, Son, and Spirit. We've got them all there. But if we're honest, we step back from a text like this, I bet most of us operate more like binitarians than trinitarians. What do I mean by that? The two prefixes, by, just means two, right? And then tri means three. So we love Jesus, obviously. We're good with him. Uh, we, We kind of understand the Father, but the Spirit, oh man, who knows what to do with that guy, right? Who knows what to do? So we operate in this binitarian world where we're comfortable with Father and Son, and the Spirit's just like, whoa, what are we supposed to do with the Spirit? 
Well, we'll find out today that the Spirit's job in our lives and our hearts is to put Jesus on center stage of our hearts. The Spirit's job in your life is to put Jesus on center stage of your life. And so Paul here is urging us to be straight up Trinitarians when we pray and include the third member, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead in our prayers for ourselves and for each other. So it's explicitly Trinitarian. Second, it's explosively internal. All of the work that is accomplished through this prayer in Ephesians 3 happens on the invisible side of us, the inside of us. In other words, it's not a prayer that can be sort of charted or graphed with external metrics. It's a deeply internal prayer with internal results. Look at verse 16. All of this prayer is accomplished in the inner being. Look at verse 17. It happens in your hearts. Look at verse 19. That you may be filled. The idea is on the inside, right? So the fruits of this powerful Trinitarian prayer occur inside your person, your inner being, the real you, the one you know best in all the world, you. So let's not get the Holy Spirit twisted this morning. The power of the Spirit is not only for visible, powerful, extraordinary manifestations of God's power. The Holy Spirit is at work, especially, I think, in the invisible parts of your heart and soul, in your inner being. And I want to point out just quickly here this ironic tension that the Scriptures tease out, that our outer being can be wasting away even while our inner being thrives. This is another reason why we need this prayer at this time in our lives, all of us, because many of us feel like the outside is just, it's really troublesome right now, right? And even while we experience that externally, we can thrive internally. Listen to these other words from Paul when he's talking about our inner beings from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You can follow along on screen. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's us. We are just fading away. It's, a, it's an analogy to our lives. We are jars of clay. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, here it is, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We find out from Ephesians 3 that it's by the Spirit. For this light momentary affliction, that we are in right now is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Church, does this not resonate with you this morning? Don't you just feel this in your bones, outer selves wasting away, but by the Spirit, our inner selves can be renewed day by day, but they won't be if we don't plug in to the power source. And this prayer is not without a gigantic payoff either. Just for a second, look at how explosive the prayer is at the end of verse 19. It fills you all the way up with the fullness of God. So this is not weak sauce prayer. It's a revolutionary kind of prayer that is fueled by the same exact power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's explosively internal. Next brief observation, it's an especially passive prayer. So we have it being explicitly Trinitarian, explosively internal, and now it's explicitly passive. 
Nowhere in our lives do we get strength like Ephesians 3 tells us to. If we want to get stronger lung capacity, we have to work at it, right? If we want stronger discipline, we have to work at it. If we want stronger muscles, we have to work for it. Everywhere in life, we have to work for strength. Here in Ephesians 3, we just ask for the power and the strength. Look at verse 16. He grants you strength with power. Man, this is good news for all of us in here who are struggling to muster up any kind of care for God right now. Any kind of internal fortitude to live a godly life. Whether that is to pursue Jesus through his word or to love a spouse or to figure out how to love someone on the other side of whatever debate is raging right now in your heart. If you need power to do these things, don't work at it before you ask for the power to work at it. And keep asking. Next, it's an extraordinarily passionate prayer. Paul is desperate. Paul is desperate for the Ephesians and for us to stay plugged in to our power source. So desperate that it affects his posture. Do you see it there in verse 14? He's down on his knees. So this morning, if you are run down or beat down or listless in your passion for God and his word, maybe it's because you haven't felt the desperation that Paul is demonstrating here. He's on his knees in a posture of a humble beggar. And I think Paul is passionate, so passionate, because he realized that he's so weak. He's so passionate because he knows he is so weak. The thread that ties this whole spirit-breathe prayer together is a common need for strength. Look at verse 16. You need to be strengthened with power. Verse 18. You need strength to comprehend. So the text is pretty straightforward here, and it's humiliating. You are weak. Your inner man is weak. It needs strengthening. I've thought about this a lot recently. I wonder if our apparent strength prior to the pandemic has actually been revealed to be paper thin. Many of us are threadbare right now for one reason or another. I put myself there. My inner man isn't really as strong as I thought it was. And I wonder if it's because we've let spirit breathe prayers like this collect dust on the shelf during seasons when we thought we were strong and we left these prayers alone. We need to be strengthened and we need God to fill us up with all of his fullness or we're going to be empty. I wonder if empty describes who you've become recently. If that's you, there is power to be had and filling to be enjoyed and all you need to do is ask. Ask for the power to be strengthened and then Keep asking. Okay, with these sort of overarching themes in our back pocket here, that it's Trinitarian, it's internal, it's passive, and it's passionate, uh, let's take a look at this thing, this prayer, piece by piece. In verse 14, he starts out with, for this reason. Well, for what reason, Paul? Why are you writing this? Well, this is a callback to something that happened at the very beginning of chapter 3. So if you look back up at chapter 3, Uh, In verse 1, it's the same exact phrase. So chapter 3, verse 1, he says, for this reason, and then you skip down to 14, and he says the same thing, for this reason. Um, So the for this reason here in our text actually has links back to the final thoughts of chapter 2, where Paul was praying for unity for the believers there in Ephesus and for us as well. You might remember way back before Thanksgiving, we kind of got a double dose of this talk about unity. 
Uh, and it, the, the analogy uh, in Ephesians 2 was between Jew and Gentile, but there are so many applications for us today, and especially for us today. Uh, we heard a lot about that f- both from me and then from Will as well. And so in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul is about to say, For this reason, I'm praying for you, X, Y, and Z. But then Paul digresses. You can see it starting in verse 2. From verse 2 to 13, he gets way off track. Uh, the Spirit led him uh, to be off track, but he gets way off track. Um, he goes on this mini tangent. But he's finally circling back here. Um, and I think he's carrying the burdens of chapter 2 into this prayer at the end of chapter 3. He's like, listen, guys, if you want to eradicate hostility in the church, uh, if, if you want to enjoy unity, common unity, community in the church, uh, then you're going to need to pray like this. This is instructive for us, isn't it? It was for me this week when I considered how many of my recent burdens that I have drowned with an extra scroll or a click or you fill in the blank for whatever way that you drown your burdens. But Paul's pattern here is helpful and it's reforming. Pray. And we pray about what we care about. We pray about what we care about. What do the patterns of your prayer indicate about what you care about? What do the patterns of your prayer indicate about what you care about? Paul cared deeply about the unity of Jesus' church. So he got down on his knees and he prayed desperately for it. So this carryover from the push for unity in earlier in chapter 2 is why in verses 14 and 15, he's once again, he's, he's highlighting their sameness. Do you see it there? In verse 14, he's highlighting their sameness and not their difference. He says, I bow my knees before the Father, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. In other words, in keeping with this sort of unity theme, we're all in the family, each of us, down through the centuries who pro- profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, we carry the family name and we carry, God willing, the family resemblance, right? So what is this power that Paul is praying for? I think it's power to remain unified despite differences. And we're not talking about doctrinal differences. Uh, We're talking about things that do not pertain to doctrine. Um, We've gotten into that in previous weeks and we won't get into it this morning. But Paul is looking back at his plea for unity and saying, you need power, we need power to stay together. We really do. But now he's also looking ahead and saying, look, I'm about to say some hard things and you're going to need to have power in order to live them out. Remember, uh, chapters 4 through 6 is all of this doctrine of grace lived out in real life. And he's saying, before you get into that, let's take a step back, take a breath, let's pray, and let's plug into the power source before we ask for God to do transformational work in our lives. So we're actually going to get to the prayer now. Two distinct requests here in this prayer that together culminate in the final third request. So two points this morning that culminate in the third. The pattern here calls us to first pray for the strengthening spirit, second pray for the presence of Christ, and then third pray for the fullness of God. So if you get stuck on the treadmill tomorrow morning not knowing what to pray, this is a really good place to start. Pray for the strengthening spirit. Pray for the presence of Christ. And then pray for the fullness of God to fill you up. Number one this morning, pray for the strengthening spirit to give you power to make space for Jesus. Pray for the strengthening spirit to give you power to make space for Jesus. Look at verse 16. Paul prays that we might be strengthened with power 
through his spirit in our inner being, skip to 17, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. And just note real quick that the resources available to us to acquire this power are limitless. It says there, according to the riches of his glory. That is the bank of power that we get to plug into when we pray to the strengthening spirit. When we pray for the spirit to strengthen us, what are we praying for? We're actually praying for something very specific. We're praying that Jesus would more and more dwell in us. The spirit's job is to put Jesus on center stage, right? And that he would just fill us up. If you look at verse 17, that word dwell there, the meaning behind it in the original language has this idea of residence, like a house where you live. So Paul um, is telling us that it's, it's time for Jesus to make himself at home in us. Now, doesn't, for Christians, doesn't Jesus already live in us? Doesn't he already dwell in us? If that's true, why is Paul praying for Jesus to dwell in us? I think Paul is deepening that idea. He's saying it's time uh, for his touch in, our, in his home, as it were, in his residence. It's time for him to move out of the guest room and into the master suite, if you will. The prayer here is for the Spirit to strengthen us, to make space for Jesus, so that our lives more fully reflect Jesus. To make space for Jesus in our soul so that our lives on the outside more fully reflect Jesus, like we'll see in the final few chapters. Uh, recently, Miriam and I went all Chip and Joanna Gaines on our girls' bedroom. If you don't know who Chip and Joanna are, don't worry about it. They just, what do they do? They, uh, somebody help me out here. I'm, they decorate. There you go. They do stuff with houses and they decorate. Uh, I had to act like I didn't know who they were and what they did there for a second. So um, Chip and Joanna Gaines, we did this, uh, we did a makeover, a little mini makeover on our girls' bedroom. We sent them off to school for the entire day. We took them a little bit early so we could steal a couple of minutes early in the morning, and then we got them a little bit late so we could steal a couple of minutes at the end of the day as well. We rearranged the furniture completely. We painted all the walls. We vacuumed up 6,247 Legos. We bought new bed coverings for them, new sheets for them, wall art. This was their Christmas present for this year, which for the three oldest was great. The youngest one did not get how this could be a Christmas present, but... Um, well, when they saw it, they freaked out. I wish I could show you the video. I thought about showing it to you today, but I thought I would get in a little bit of trouble for showing that to you today. Surprise shrieks, surprise shouts. Nora, a little upset. Um, it, was, it really was so fun, though. Uh, with the bed coverings, their room got much more cozy, big, fluffy bed coverings and comfortable, cozy and comfortable. And all the new decor and paint fueled a great deal of joy in three of their hearts. Um, joy and comfort is how you could describe uh, those few moments. In effect, when we pray this prayer from Ephesians 3, we are praying that the Spirit would help us to be the kind of Christians where Jesus is able to comfortably and joyfully take up residence in us. There are some projects in your life that Jesus needs to address. And each of them have to do with you looking a little bit more like him and a little bit less like your natural, sinful impulses. Paul says that we have power to keep grinding in this lifelong makeover. So Jesus is ready to, for your attitude towards your boss to look a little bit more like the grace that he has shown to you. 
Jesus is ready for your attitude on the interstate to look a little bit more like the patience that he has shown to you. Jesus is ready for your anger at your kids to subside and to be replaced with patient, loving tenderness, just like he has shown to you. When Jesus moves into our hearts, he redecorates everywhere. He takes up residence. That's what that word dwell means, Christ dwelling in us. None of us have the inner strength to pull off this makeover. We need the Spirit, so pray that the Spirit would make your life and heart and inner being a comfortable, joyful residence for the risen and holy Christ. So Paul's next request here isn't so much a new request as it is in a sort of an elaboration of the first one that we just talked about. What does it mean for us to be strengthened by the Spirit? It means that Jesus himself is taking up residence in us and dwelling there. And the result of Jesus taking up more and more of the the landscape in our souls um, is us understanding more fully the profound love that he has for us. That will be the result. And so number two this morning, pray for the presence of Jesus to help you comprehend his incomprehensible love. Look at verse 17. Paul prays that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Skip to 18. So that was the purpose, so that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. There's some irony here. Do you see it? You see it there in verse 19? Paul prays that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What is that? I think this is funny. I tried to draw it out a little bit in the second point uh, in the reference to comprehending the incomprehensible. When is the last time in your life the love of God for you in Jesus really sunk down deep into your soul, into your bones? Paul says that we need power to have this really dawn on us. I've had moments like this in my life. You probably have too. When I experience an extra special sense, whatever it is, of God's presence with me and love for me, you probably have had it too. It leaves you in awe. Maybe you've had goosebumps as the Lord has met with you through his word or through corporate worship. This thought dawns on you that the God of the universe cares for me and loves me and was crucified for me. What Paul is saying here is that no matter how wonderful that moment was, there is way more to comprehend than what you sensed in that moment. So much more that it's incomprehensible to us. Paul is trying to explain it to us, and he has to go dimensional on us. He says high and wide and and deep and long. If you've ever been to an amusement park and gone into one of those 4D shows where they like spray water at you when somebody sneezes on screen or whatever, you've probably seen those. Or maybe you've been to the theater to see a movie in 3D and you put on the 3D glasses. Um, I think you'll probably, if you've had that experience, understand what Paul is saying here a little bit better. Uh, if you're anything like me, you've probably gone into one of these shows and you've like slipped the glasses off just to see what it looks like uh, without them on, right? Everything is fuzzy. Nothing is quite in focus. It's all a little bit incomprehensible, if you will. But slip those bad boys back on and there's like a snake that's right in front of your face, right? Like hitting the front of your glasses and the ladies all scream and, and, and the men all scream and you're reaching out there to see if there's actually anything there because it's so realistic right in front of your face. Um, this is what we are to pray for, that we would understand more and more the dimensions, the, the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of Jesus' love for us. 
And the way we put on these glasses to see this is by asking the Spirit to give us power to see it. So today, fall on your knees in desperation and beg God to do this. Say, God, I don't even get your love. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I want to, and I want to understand it more. Help. What if we prayed like this? What if we did? And what if we just kept praying like this? What if we prayed for an experience, an experience of God's love? You know, some faith traditions elevate knowledge over experience. Some faith traditions elevate experience over knowledge. I don't think either are right. Paul does want us to experience something here. That's what the language is imploring us toward. He wants us to sink into an incomprehensible ocean of God's love. So I am praying for power from the Spirit that you and I may understand God's love more and more, church. You are more loved than you know. Once Jesus moves in and takes up residence and dwells there, he has a laser-like focus in what he wants to accomplish in your inner being. He wants you to know his love that surpasses knowledge. Paul wants us to understand the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of Jesus' love. And the only way we'll even be able to scrape the surface of understanding God's love for us through Jesus is through prayer, the power of the Spirit. Remember our premise from earlier? There is power to be had that can only be accessed through prayer. This understanding is a superpower that only comes about supernaturally by the power of the Spirit. So Paul is saying that we can live in the knowledge of God's amazing love in Christ, even though we're really going to always feel a bit out of our depth. Uh, I read this past week that the deepest part of, about the deepest part of the ocean, it's called uh, the Challenger Deep Gorge. It's located in the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean. You can kind of see it's near the Philippines and Indonesia, if you're familiar with that uh, part of the world. It is seven miles deep which is a mile deeper than Everest is tall. Obviously, no human has ever and probably will ever get to see the bottom of the trench in person with their own eyes. Still, even though we cannot plumb the depths of the ocean to fully appreciate it and fully comprehend it, no one's even seen it or experienced it, we still enjoy swimming in the ocean even though we can't fully get it. None of us stand on the beach saying, well, I can't understand and explore fully the Challenger Deep Gorge, so I'm not going to swim in the ocean until I can understand it fully. No way. Uh, if we did that, we'd never go to the effort of going down the shore, whatever that means, um, or paying large sums of money to visit the crystal clear waters of the Caribbean, or surfing the huge swells in the Pacific Northwest. In the same way, Paul wants us to prayerfully consider the vast beauty, the wonder, the depth of the love of God, to us in Christ, and rest in the assurance that is found there, that despite our sin, despite a pandemic, despite the hostility in our world and sometimes in our hearts, we can remain confident in the gospel love of a crucified and risen Savior, Savior who died for sin and who rose victoriously over death. This is what the love of God is meant to do in your hearts. It's meant to fill it up, the incomprehensible love of God in Christ. And this is a power that can only be accessed through prayer. 
to explore this love, to revel in it, to be preoccupied with it and enjoy it. There's a greater joy to be found in swimming in Jesus' incomprehensible love than any other joy your mind can conjure up right now. Some of us in here, maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you are a Christian. Some of us in here are a little bit skeptical about this. No way. There's more joy to be found in Jesus than anywhere else. Sometimes by our lives we demonstrate that, I thought of this application in my own heart this week, uh, we demonstrate that we are more captured by sleep in the morning than we are tantalized by the prospect of power in prayer. So we roll over and we stay in our beds and we neglect to plug in to this power. There are a million things that we do, right, instead of tapping into this cosmic power source because we're not all that convinced that what we find is going to be epic and beautiful like Paul teases out here. But it will be And you need power that you don't already have to enjoy it and to experience it fully. If you're skeptical about how, just how capturing Jesus' love truly is, if you're pretty sure that there are other things more mesmerizing than swimming in the ocean of this glorious love, then it's probably because you haven't plugged in by the Spirit in quite a while to get a grasp of this. Here's how C.S. Lewis put it. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Church, let us not be this naive little boy. Let us pray for the power of the Spirit to give space to the resurrected Christ to enable us to comprehend the incomprehensible love of the gospel. No matter how much we know of the love of Christ, how fully we enter into his love for us, there is always more to know and experience. You can ask any of our older saints this, and they will tell you. They learn more every day about the love of Jesus than they did the day before. I'm sure they'd be glad to speak with you about that. Okay, so these two requests culminate in a final, brief third request. Third, pray for the fullness of God to fill you all the way up. Pray for the fullness of God to fill you all the way up. Culminating prayers found in verse 19 says, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What does that mean? I think it means that being filled with the fullness of God means to have God's character reproduced in us by the power of his spirit. In other words, being filled with the fullness of God means looking like Jesus in every way imaginable. Being filled with the fullness of God means looking like Jesus in every way imaginable. This is the ultimate empowering of the Spirit. When the indwelling Spirit of God reproduces the character of God in the lives of the people of God. It's when the indwelling Spirit of God reproduces the character of the Son of God in our lives. This is, in effect, what we are being called to pray for here to look like Jesus, and we need the power of the Spirit to do that. If you want all of God in all of you, pray that Christ, by the power of the Spirit, takes up residence in you, helping you to understand the incomprehensible love of the gospel, and then pray that you may be able to share this with all the saints. Your phone is powered by that cube and that cord. In the Christian life, your power comes through prayer. Don't get too busy to power up. When is the last time you prayed for power? 
When is the last time you told someone else that you prayed for them like this? That's what Paul is doing here, right? He's telling the Ephesian church, Ephesian church, I'm praying for you like this. Personally, I couldn't think of any examples of this in my life. I haven't prayed for power. I haven't told anybody else they're praying for power. And I haven't heard from anyone else that they're praying for me to have power. This is a neglected tool in our tool belt, Christians. I think prayer for power is foreign to us because we don't think we're all that weak. I think praying desperately is foreign to us. But increasingly, may God make it the norm for us. Pray this way for you. Pray this way for your family. Pray this way for us. And then encourage one another by telling one another that you're praying this for each other. In desperation, pray for the powerful Trinitarian filling of God's fullness. I'm going to do this now. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to get on my knees just like Paul. While I'm praying, the musicians and the communion servers can come on up and then we'll take communion together. But would you pray with me? Father, please fill us. Spirit, please empower us. Jesus, take up residence in us. We want our hearts and lives to be a place of joy and comfort for you. By your power, Spirit, would you do this in us? We are really desperate to be full of Jesus. We need power. We're on our knees. In our hearts, we are on our knees. We don't want status quo Christianity. We want fire. We want power. We want to look like Jesus. Give us strength. Give us power. Help us know the unknowable love deep down in our inner being. Help us to experience you in brand new ways. Help us to see your love with brand new eyes. We are ships without wind, coals without flame. So, Spirit, we need you to fill us so full of God that we are abnormal and weird to this world. So that in any situation, we are filled with fearless, spirit-wrought hope and joy. We don't just want to show up here every week and walk away the same. We don't want a big group of rule followers. We don't want to just be cultural Christians. We want to be powerful Christians who walk with Jesus every day of our lives in joy. We don't want to waste our time. Please wreak havoc in our hearts for your glory. Help us plug into your power source every day, Spirit of God. Amen.